Music should let you know that you're in for something this this afternoon, this evening, whenever it is you're listening to it. It's afternoon for me, so who knows how that's supposed to work for you. <clears throat> Hi, I'm by myself. You are on your own, stuck with me, because Lou has a life, and he got stuck at work doing training. So this is a good opportunity for us to do something useful and productive, as I always like to say, on a Sunday morning. I find myself saying that way too often because we get sidetracked way too often. So you may be asking yourself, what? Well, the what is really easy, and this is what I was going to tackle with Lou if he was here, so I figured he's not here. It's a good opportunity to tackle it anyway. If you listen to what gets posted on Tuesdays, you have seen that we are going through how to formulate a Christian worldview and how to do it, wait for it, biblically, because that's how Christians are supposed to operate, from a biblical foundation, meaning we take who we are, what we are, why we are, and therefore how we are, from a biblical definition, and then apply that to the world around us. Well, if that's what we're trying to accomplish on a regular basis, and the world gives you a tremendous example of what happens when a biblical worldview is forsaken, and you don't utilize it, well, shame for shame. So, if you looked at the title, yes, we're going to give an opinion. Note what I just said. I'm going to give an opinion about the Afghanistan mess, hopefully based upon Christian principles and understandings, and try to make some sense. I have no idea how long this episode will be until we're completed. I've got my little counter running, so I'll just keep talking until I run out of stuff and or I've made sense of this or confused you entirely. No promises as to which one will come first. So... Let's start with <clears throat> foundations. Let's start with definitions, okay? I am an American. I live in the United States of America. I have only traveled outside of the United States of America twice in my life, once when I was six months old and once when I was 18 months old. My parents vacationed to Jamaica and burnt me like a lobster in a pot in Maine. It was not fun, apparently. I have pictures to prove it. Might be why my skin is a disaster area that it is today. So other than that, I have been an American my entire life. Been here my entire life. I have had the pleasure, displeasure to travel all over the United States. I have lived in three geographically distinct areas, which for those of you that have never been to the United States or studied the United States, because of our size and the expense of travel for a lot of people, geographical areas in the United States might as well be their own countries. So I was born and raised in New England. I lived in the South, the southeastern United States, immersed in Southern culture, whether I liked it or not. And believe me, the weather is terrible. And I now live in the Midwest. You may be asking, what does that have to do with this? Well, it means that 
I think about these things from my American perspective. So do you. I mean, barring bizarre VPNs, we have people that download and listen to this on a regular basis from Australia, India, the Caribbean, South America, and various other parts of Europe and Africa. Most of our downloads are from the U.S., but they come from multiple geographical areas, California, Southwest, New England, the, uh, the Mid-Atlantic, all sorts of lovely places, Midwest, all that good stuff. What does that mean? Well, it means that we have different perspectives and understandings about who we are and what we're supposed to do because of where God has put us. First thing you got to do, throw that out the window. I'm serious. Throw that out the window. I want to define and understand myself based on Scripture and its definitions and its definitions alone. So, what's a country? I'm pausing because you need to answer that because you need to answer what a country is according to a biblical standard. And a country is a unit of like-minded cultural and linguistic people ordained and placed by God. Psalm 93, Acts 17, talks about how God defines the nations and their borders. Uh, 1 Peter 3, Romans 13, talks about how God has ordained their leadership, even put them into place. Yes, even if you are in some shape, form, or fashion of a democracy, I don't care that you voted. God didn't wake up and go, they voted for who? I can't believe they did that. They voted for that. What? Huh? No. God is not surprised. He will not be mocked, sinner. As a matter of fact, he laughs at you when you shake your fist at him. Now, why would God ordain nations? I think this is something Lou and I covered back at uh, United States election time in November. Go back and listen to that. It'll give you a good primer. I'm not going to rehash that entire Bible study. God created nations so that they would uphold laws. They would be sources and forces for good and righteous things in his creation. I did not say that that is what they will only do. I said that is what they are supposed to do. Now, just like Christian, you are supposed to walk in righteousness. You are supposed to be holy unto the Lord, walking the path of sanctification, doing what is right and good in the sight of Christ. Yeah, how does that work out for you every single day? And the answer may be some days better than others, some days worse than others, but the answer is for that too Christ died, and we know that. Nations, just like people, some days get it really right, some days, wait for it, they get it really wrong does not mean that the reason they were ordained and inaugurated has changed. They are to uphold righteousness. Whose righteousness? That one should have been easy, yes. God's righteousness. They are meant to be instruments of his justice. This is what Paul is talking about when he says, and I said I wasn't going to get into this, so I'm not going to get into it too deeply. Go listen to the November episode on government, and you will do you good. They are meant to be instruments of his righteousness, meaning when you do what is good, the government should praise you. When you do what is evil, that is why they bear the sword. So, when I follow God, read my Bible, pray, live an upright life, am good to my neighbors, pay my taxes, uphold my community, love my wife, lead my children, am a pillar of the community, the government should say, hey, we like that guy. Let's not throw him in jail. As a matter of fact, let's get other people to be like him. 
let's incentivize this behavior. This is why every government anywhere, everywhere has cared who's been married because governments have an inst have a um oh what's the word? It just went right out of my head. It just disappeared. Uh, incentive. There you go. Governments have an incentive to have a married population. Married people live longer. Married people, on average, make more money. Married people provide more stability. Married people, when they have children, have children who succeed in school, get jobs, get married, have children of their own, create stability and peace and harmony in a society. On the whole, there are always bad apples. There are always things that go wrong this, this side of Eden, east of Eden. But on the whole, these things are good for society. Therefore, take Western governments. The United States still does this. There's an incentive in the tax code for you to get married. And it used to be a large incentive. As we've moved away from a Christian foundation, we have disincentivized marriage, and we are reaping the whirlwind that we have sown with regards to our communities, our children, and our lives in general. But governments, when they uphold God's righteousness, do well. This is how they are supposed to do this. Likewise, when you do what is evil, you should fear because they bear the sword on behalf of God. So when, you know, who knows what doing, who knows where, just cruising along, doing his life. We'll, we'll use Dave. So, so Dave is doing everything he's supposed to be doing. He goes to work every day. He pays his taxes. He cuts his grass. He, he disciples his children. He loves his wife. He does all of those things. And I see Dave one day in the sidewalk and go, you know what? I don't like Dave. I'm going to run him over with my car. I should fear the government. Why? Because I have struck down what is good and upright, and I have done what is evil in the sight of God. Government has a duty and an obligation to eradicate me from the population. Yes, in keeping with biblical law, I have forfeited my right to live in a good, upright, Christian-style society. The government should use the sword to cut off my head. I should be executed for killing Dave. And if I didn't kill Dave, I should still be executed because I could have killed Dave, and I am a depraved individual not worthy of a good and upright society. That would be the government doing its job correctly. Now, where should a government do this correct job, you may ask? And it's actually relatively simple. They should do this in their nation for their people. So let's expand this out a little bit. I am an American. Let's just say my government has become corrupt. I know, that's a stretch, but, but go with it for a minute, okay? Let's just say that my government has become corrupt. They have done things that are untoward, and they are no longer upholding what is right, good, and beautiful. They no longer persecute and prosecute me for trying to run Dave over with my car, even though Dave has done everything good and right. Dave hasn't, does, does not deserve me to mow him down with, with my Toyota. He does not deserve this ill treatment, but I have decided to do it anyway, and the government has decided they will not punish me because they didn't like Dave either for whatever reason. Now, is it the job of the Canadian government, you know, the people in charge of Canada, is it their job to now come down and punish me as an evildoer on behalf of Canadia? And the answer is no. Why not? Because I'm not Canadian. I've never been Canadian. I've never been to Canadia. I've never crossed the border. And if that's bugging you, then sorry. It's just funny to me, and it's just, it's not going away. Not their people. As, um, as my mother-in-law has famously said, not my monkeys, not my zoo. 
Not how this works, people. It is not the Canadian's job to come down and keep my peace. Now, if I, as an American, say I'm Dave's neighbor and I've witnessed this lawlessness, I have been a friend of Dave's. I'm now, I'm Bob. So I have been a friend of Dave's for years. I have done everything just like Dave has done, and I watch this senseless violence. I, Bob, pack up my family and Dave's family and say, you know what? We're out of here, guys. The American government has become corrupt. They will not protect us. We need to go somewhere else. So we go to the Canadians and we say, guys, we would like help. We would like you to protect us. The Americans cannot protect us any longer. What should the Canadians do? Well, they don't protect me here, so they have to decide whether or not they will allow me into their borders. The first thing they should do is vet me. How do they know I'm not the nitwit that ran Dave over? How do they know I'm not some lying scumbag intent on running over Canadian citizens who are doing everything that's good and right? You know, the, the, the Dave A's of the, of the Canadian provinces. They don't, unless they do their due diligence. They do their homework. They process. This is how immigration is supposed to work in nations, because nations have a duty and an obligation to protect their people, not your people. Now, if in the process of their vetting, they come across some things they don't like, they not only have the right, they have the duty to tell me no. Bob, you have done poorly in your nation. You have claimed to be good, but you are not good, and we will not take the chance of allowing you to harm our citizens. You are going to have to take your chances in America. That would be not only the Canadian right, but the Canadian duty in this instance. Likewise, short of the American government attacking Canadian citizens and attacking Canada itself, the Canadians have no real right, duty, or obligation to uphold righteousness in America. Not their monkeys, not their zoo. God has ordained them a border. God has ordained them a nation. God has ordained them a people. And it is their job to protect, oversee, and safeguard those things which God has given. If you want to make this more personal because you're starting to get annoyed, this is why you don't spank other people's children at Walmart. So you take your kids to Walmart. They start running up and down the aisle screaming and throwing Rice Krispies at other people. You snatch them up, whoop them one good time, and say, no. You will not steal from this store. You will not waste my money, and you will not harm others. You will act like a decent, upright member of society because that is how you shall live under God. Awesome. Good job, Mom. Good job, Dad. You did the good and right thing in this world. Now, when some other child comes running them down the aisle throwing their Rice Krispies at you, you do not snatch them up and beat them. Unless you like going to jail. Why? Because those aren't your children. Now, would it be out of bounds for you to say something? No. Would it be out of bounds for you to correct their parents? No. But if their parents are hostile, do not accept correction. If those children are hostile, do not accept correction. Should you stand there and browbeat them? Should you demand and escalate until they listen to you? No. Not your monkeys. Not your zoo. Same correlation applies. You look at that child and you say, sweetie, don't throw Rice Krispies at me. Okay, where's your mother? Why is your child throwing Rice Krispies? What do you care? Okay, you know what? I'm out of here. You don't want to listen to correction. You don't want to listen to good, godly counsel and wisdom. I'm leaving. Shake the dust off your feet. It's almost like there's a Bible verse about that. And walk to the next town. And then use that as an example for your children or your grandchildren or your nieces and nephews or whoever it is that you may see around you. Ah, Now, here's the fun part. 
I have made this analogy with my own family. I've told Cameron this. If she was sitting across from me, she would agree. Children are terrorists. They will negotiate. They will hold hostage your feelings, their feelings, your affirmation, their affirmation. They will cry. They will scream. They will mean none of it. But if it gets you to do what they want, they will do so. They are terrorists. A good, godly government does not negotiate with terrorists. It shoots them in the face every single time. Why? Because you're trying to harm what is good, right, and beautiful. And as an entity ordained by God, it is our job to uphold what is good, what is good, right, and beautiful. We will not allow you to hold us hostage. We will uphold what is good and right and bear the sword of God rightly for good reason. So, what is that analogy about? When you see iniquity, sin, wrongdoing, you know, the little misbehaviors that you don't like to talk about with your children because we like to soften everything. You know, the word we should be using, sin and iniquity. When you see this in your children, should you beat around the bush? Should you negotiate with it? Should you recommend they do something different? Or should you eradicate it with extreme prejudice? You will not act like that in my house. You will not talk like that to your sister. You will not do that to strangers in Walmart. You will not act like this in public. You will not do that to the dog. You've said these things. You have thought these things, and if you thought them, you should have said them. Why? Because you eradicate sin, and when it is time to bear the sword, you bear it with extreme prejudice. You do not bear the sword to give someone a paper cut. You bear the sword to rip off their head so they cannot harm another. Now, as parents, we figuratively bear a sword. We discipline our children as God disciplines us. Police departments bear a literal sword. Militaries, on behalf of their nations, bear a very literal sword. Which means, when you have harmed my citizens, or when you have threatened my sovereign peace under God, it is my right, duty, and obligation before God to defend my people and to eradicate your evil with extreme prejudice. You'd like a good example of that? This is what you saw with Europe in World War II. This is why they went to war against Hitler. We will not allow you to treat our citizens this way. We will not allow you to impinge upon the hegemony that God has established. We will not allow you to threaten our people and undo what God has done. Why do I say all this? Because that's a foundation based on biblical principles. That said... Here's where the opinion kicks in. You ready? But I think I can justify it. The United States military had no, none, zip, zilch, nada, zero, right? Obligation, duty, or business ever, ever, ever being in Afghanistan. None whatsoever. Not even a little bit. Much less being there for 20 years. Why? Because they weren't a threat to us. Were there terrorists in Afghanistan? Yes. Was the Afghanistan government going to allow us to go in there and get them? No. Should we have done it anyway? No. Not righteously. Now, if you want to tell me we're unrighteously going to go in there and get them, then you know what? I could, I'm listening. I understand the motivation. I'm listening. But you go in there, you wipe out the people, and you come home. And if you are going to say no, 
You are such a threat based on what happened on 9-11, based on the other threats that have been made, based on the possibilities of attack that you might carry out, based on the what, based on the promises and ideas that you have already done. If you want to make that case, then when you send in a military, you send them in with extreme prejudice. It's the old Mike Huckabee line. Uh, militaries, soldiers, kill people and break things. That's all they do. Don't ask them to do anything else. They're not good at it. You've seen this. Go ahead, declare martial law and tell the, tell the military they got to be police officers. They're not good at it. They don't do riot control. They do riot put down. And how do I put down a riot? With extreme prejudice. Meaning, if you're going to send in a military, you don't send them in there and say, well, we're only going to shoot the bad guys. No, we're shooting everybody. Leave or die. We're shooting everybody, and then we're installing a government that we like that will shoot everybody we don't like. That's how this works. That's how you send them in. Oh, there's Taliban embedded in that city. Burn it to the ground. I'm serious. Destroy it. This is why we have an Air Force. This is why we have a Navy. This is why we have cruise missiles and Tomahawk missiles and whatever else you've got. This is why we got drones coming out of our ears. This is what a military is supposed to do. Destroy everything and everyone in its path until there is no more resistance. If you like an example of what this looks like, Tokyo. 1944, 1945. Dresden, Germany. What, 1942, 43? Don't quote me on that. Nagasaki, Hiroshima. If you're going to war, you go to war. If you're going to destroy things, you destroy things with extreme prejudice. If you're not going to do that, don't send a military. Defend your borders. Protect your people. But no, you're not using a military for the right purpose when you send them in and don't do that. What does that look like? That's what Vietnam looked like. Where we have soldiers coming home talking about, well, you know, our rules of engagement were, after they shot at us, we could try to identify them and shoot back. Well, that's just dumb. You know, we knew they were over there, but we couldn't go get them. Well, that's just dumb. And we did the same thing in Iraq. We did the same thing in Afghanistan. We've done the same thing everywhere since what world war ii really why because we have pictures now and we have videos and we don't want to see the pictures and we don't want to see the videos and we don't want to see children being hurt and, and women being blown up war is war and if you're going to do it do it knowing what you're doing why you're doing it and how you're doing it, it makes you think twice about it. it makes you wonder what exactly it is you're trying to accomplish this is important. This is why God has given government the sword. It's not given just so the government will wield it willy-nilly. It's given because that's their responsibility to bear on behalf of their people. They protect them, and they safeguard them. And when we unsheath the sword, it does damage. Like, we don't—again, it's not a paper cut. It's not a scalpel. It's a blunt— instrument that hacks and rips and destroys it is meant to cause carnage which is why you should think about it before you use it this is why good firearms instructors will tell you before you buy a gun for your home before you decide to carry a gun on your person get it into your head that you might kill another human being 
put it into your mind. Prepare yourself. Because if you are not willing to do that, the worst thing you can do is own and have a gun. Because what you're going to do is not make yourself safer. You're going to make yourself less safe. You're going to make yourself a target. And look, I understand that what I'm saying right now is not comfortable for everybody. There are a lot of people who have not thought this through, who have not stood on the other end of a firearm and pulled the trigger with the intention of taking someone else's life. You have to think through that, and it changes the way you think about the world. That's the responsibility a government and a military is supposed to wield and supposed to bear. And if they're not willing to do that and they're not willing to deal with the consequences, then don't take the sword out of its sheath. And once you do, you're in. You're all in. You don't get to pull the bullet back after you pull the trigger. You don't get to stop the bleeding after you started hacking at people. This has been the failure of military interventions the last 50 years in this world. Is we have sent militaries in to halfway do a job and to sort of kind of figure this stuff out. And they can't do it. And therefore, we end up with what you're seeing on your news this week. Should the U.S. have left? Yes. Now, should they have left the way that they're doing? Well, obviously, no. This is just ridiculous and dumb beyond all stretch of imagination. But at this point, it is what it is. As you see, because look, if you're on social media in any shape, form, or fashion, in the coming weeks, you're going to see pictures and videos of things that the Taliban is doing that are just, they're not going to be good. They're not. They're not only not going to be good, they're going to be downright horrendous and awful. And you're going to say, we need to go and do something about that. To which I would say, go. I'm serious, go. If you see that and you are so motivated that something must be done for those people, then you go. And I have no qualms with that. Because God has placed that burden on you. You are motivated. You are obligated at that point to go and do something. But your government has an obligation not to those people, but to its people. And we break this world when we say, we're going to decide how your people will live. Didn't work in Cuba. Didn't work in Iraq. Didn't work in Iran. Didn't work in Venezuela. Hasn't worked anywhere we've done it. Why? Because it's a violation of how God has said this place is to work. It's a violation of the ordination of what God has done. He has established those borders. He has installed those leaders. And he has installed these leaders to uphold his righteousness. Now, when they refuse to do that, they have a bigger enemy than another country. Their enemy is God. And the world has done too much in the last century to try and say, we've got to make this place safe. I mean, this was the buzz line when I was a kid and in middle school. We've got to make the world safe for democracy. No, we don't. Not only do we not have to do that, we can't do that. We are incapable of accomplishing that. Therefore, every time we try, <laughs> it's a nightmare because we can't do the very thing we're claiming to try to do. Because we weren't meant to. Because God has said, that's not your job. That's not your role. That's not what you accomplish. That's not how you accomplish. You defend and protect your people. They defend and protect their people. Now, do we proclaim righteousness? All the time. Absolutely. Every single time. 
But do we enforce righteousness? No. We punish evil when it is in my purview to punish. So just like I don't spank other people's kids in Walmart when they misbehave, my government shouldn't execute terrorists in your nation. That's not how righteousness is upheld. And that's violating the owner's manual for this creation because it's saying to God, we don't like the leaders you put over there. And look, I'm not saying you got to like them, but we think you could have done better. So we're going to do better. Au contraire, mon frère. That is not how this works. And it shall end badly for you. Welcome to the Vietnam debacle. Welcome to being in Iraq for 15 years. Welcome to being in Afghanistan for 20 years and accomplishing what? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Because we sent in a group of people to do a job they're not meant to do. Because they were sent in by a group of people trying to do a job that they're not supposed to do. Because it is a job that only God can do. To change the hearts and minds of people. To engage them in ways that honor him. Only his spirit accomplishes this. Instead, my job is to defend my people. To uphold righteousness where I see it, not where I don't. And to defend the precepts that God has laid down in the right manner that he has laid down. That's a layout on how to think through this and how to help you. Because I'm telling you, right here and now, it's going to take about 20 minutes before somebody somewhere goes, we got to go back. This is terrible. Because I got news for you. The terrible isn't going to go away. There will be acid attacks. There will be beheadings. There will be child brides. There will be raping of women, sisters, someone's daughter, someone's child. They will kill, rape, and they will pillage. And it will be, because it is 2021, it will be on Twitter and Facebook and Snapchat and every other social media account you can imagine. And it'll be all over everything. And because the news is getting worse and worse, the stuff that wouldn't even be mentioned on the news will be aired on primetime with video and subtitles and descriptions. And you will be tempted to say, something must be done. And Christian, I'm going to warn you now. That's the most dangerous phrase in human history because every time we say something must be done, we typically do the wrong thing because we forget that God is on his throne and God laughs as the nations mock and as they twist themselves in their rebellion, he mourns over the destruction that will come and he laughs at their attempts to overthrow him because they cannot win because he is God and they are not. And when we forget that, We start sticking our noses in places it doesn't belong. We start trying to enforce righteousness rather than uphold righteousness. We stop encouraging and we start making. We become the very things we hate, totalitarian Pharisees. What could possibly go wrong? Instead, take this as lessons, that there are wars and rumors of wars, that the love of many has grown cold. And that this world is a darkened place, seemingly. And be comforted because Christ is returning for his people. And those evildoers will be punished. And if those people cannot rise up and overthrow them, and if those Taliban do not cross the line and stay within their lane, that God will get them. They will not slip into eternity unscathed, but the fires of judgment will cook them for eternity. And be comforted. 
Not because this world is good, because God is good. And his kingdom is righteous and holy and eternal, and it will be better than best. And all the sin that entangles and all the things that we weep over will be put down. And he will reign gloriously. And we will rejoice because we have remained faithful. Why? Because we have thought through the darkness of this world by shining a light, not by rolling in the mud. And as long as that's the case, we've won. When that's not the case, and we try to do the world's things the world's way, we're doomed. And that's how we find ourselves sending soldiers to do policemen's job trying to install governments where God has not ordained and trying to function in ways that violate the boundary lines that he himself has drawn. May it never be. May it never be. Now, if you'd like to disagree with me, I would love to hear it. We will do this again if you disagree and send it into info at practicaltheologyministries.com. Who knows? Maybe Lou will listen to this and he'll disagree with me. And if that's the case, then he and I will go back and forth about this at another time. But I'm serious. Thinking through things. Now, look, if you want to disagree with me, you can't just go, well, we got to do something, man. No, tell me biblically why we got to do something and where you think I've understood biblical mandate and Christian foundations wrong. Because believe me, if I'm wrong, I will change my mind and I will agree with you and we will go blow them up together. Deal? All right. Until we meet again, read your Bible. It'll do you good.